It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. I think I sound more alive today. <laughs> Past couple of days have been really challenging. Maybe I'll share my challenges with y'all. The one thing you'll notice if you if you're a, any kind of a long-time listener to this program is that uh, I feel things pretty strongly. Yeah. And the, the sad part about it is is that I might have strong feelings, but because I'm man and not really in touch with my feelings, my feelings are almost completely separate from myself. So what will happen is is that I'm feeling something really strongly, but in my in, cognitively I'm going, I know I'm feeling something strongly, but I can't quite put my finger on it because... You know what happens is is that for guys, when, when they're in utero, I just love throwing medical terminology around. It makes me sound smart. <laughs> when they're in utero, there's some kind of a acid bath that happens you know, while the uh, male fetus is developing. And it, uh, it breaks a lot of the synapses between the right and the left lobe of the, of the brain. And um, this is one of the reasons why I'm absolutely convinced that all men, including myself, suffer from Dame Bramage. So, <laughs> Dame Bramage. I think that's Bill Cosby's term. <laughs> and so what happens is, is that, you know, we, you know, before that happens, we probably would be really good at accessorizing and really be in touch with our emotions. And then after that little acid bath that breaks all the synapses occurs, and what happens is, is that, you know, we end up, you know, grunting at pictures and pointing and going, uh, uh. Yeah, I was really upset <laughs> when Togo switched their menu. I, have I talked about this before? <laughs> this is really silly that I'm talking about this. Togo's, was, my wife and I, we like Quiznos, we like Togo's, but we're not big Subway fans, okay? And these are sandwich shops. You know, we're a, you know when we go out on a date, I hate to say, man, this is going to make me sound like such a doofus. But uh, my, my wife and I, we, every, every Saturday, we have a standing date night. And uh, we get to pick the restaurant on sub- on different weekends. So on the weekends that I get to pick, you know, I like to go to places like uh, Avila's Mexican Restaurant in San Clemente, uh, uh, the the Chart House. I, I like going to some nice restaurants where you can you know enjoy a very nicely cooked meal, have maybe a, a good bottle of wine with your uh, with your meal. And my wife, you know, I ask her, "Hey, honey, it's your night. Where do you want to go?" She goes, "Quiznos." <laughs> Mrs. Rosebro has very simple tastes, and I am the luckiest guy in the world because it keeps our credit card bills down. <laughs> I love the fact that my wife, you know, that she has my same uh, philosophy when it comes to shopping. Know what you want before you go. When you enter the door, go per, di- di- go directly to that section of the mall or store where the thing is that you need to purchase is. Hunt it down. Hunt it down. Bag the thing. Take it to the front. Pay for it and leave. I I know some of you women listening are sitting here going, that's not right. <laughs> we need to get a hold of Mrs. Rosebro and see if we can fix her. Don't you dare. <laughs> anyway, so one of the places we used to eat was Togo's. And they have pretty good sandwiches too, although we like the Quiznos sandwiches. I really like the hot thing going on there. They toast them up and they're nice and warm. And they have a meatball sandwich now. And no, Togo's ha- no Quiznos has not paid me to uh, talk about this. <laughs> But um, when we were at Togo's, they um, they switched their menu. It used to be that they would have pictures. They would have they had on the back wall of the Togo's we used to go to. They would have pictures of the different sandwiches, and I called that the male friendly menu 
because you know all you, <laughs> you want to order your food all you have to do is point at the picture of the food that you want and go uh, uh, <laughs> me want that oh male friendly and then what happened is, is i think some some woman took over marketing and, and menu design for togos and it became completely word-based and it was such a you know, oh man it was i was so depressed i mean every time i'd go in there i'd really feel you know that you know i was being oppressed by all of these menu words you know i like the pictures just point at the picture and grunt that's the way to order food and <laughs> anyway if you would listen to yesterday's show i i i sounded a little bit flat and you know it just suffice it to say that life has been a little challenging you know it, it's not easy running a couple of companies and and doing a daily radio program and um i feel things really strongly but when i feel them it takes me a while to process it because i have no idea how to process a feeling you know give me you know i could, second law of thermodynamics i'm good with that emotions of my own oh man <laughs> So uh, what I've been what, one of the things I've been struggling with is, uh, you know, I'm absolutely committed to making Fighting for the Faith the best radio program that I'm capable of producing. I want to produce it at, at a level of excellence. And, um, you know, I take to heart the, uh, the the comments that I get in from listeners and even from friends uh, who uh, and family who listen to the program. And so the one thing that's uh, certain is, is that there's not quite a program out there like that. And when I think about that. I go, uh, maybe the reason why there isn't a radio program out there like this is because um, maybe what I'm doing is over the top, and that's not good Christian behavior. So I have to I have to keep myself in check. You know, is, is, is what I'm doing really honoring Christ, or am I on some kind of a Rosebro rant? You know, and uh, if that's the case, then, you know, I, I've, I've got to repent. I can't be doing that. But uh, so I've been, I've, been, I've been taking to heart, you know, the, the uh, comments that have been coming in regarding the postcard controversy, talking to friends, talking to people who are mentors and people who I, you know, I absolutely respect their opinions and bouncing ideas off of them and trying to, you know, in my mind, come up with a way of, uh, of making sure that, uh, you know, if I'm exposing error, that I'm not I- I- engaging in error to do so. I mean, that's kind of silly. What's the point of that? So uh, I've come up with a, ba- a very simple idea. I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to come up with a simple mission statement for fighting for the faith. And we used to say, you know, t- uh, you know, taking every thought captive and making obedient to Christ. I still think that's at the heart of all of this. But uh, to make sure that you understand where I am and what I have no qualms doing, I think the better way to to look at it. You know how all these these uh, seeker sensitive churches. Pretty much their mission statements are all loving God and loving people, which basically is the law. So my uh, my uh, new mission statement goes something like this. Loving God's sheep and shooting wolves. So um, uh, in other words, <laughs> I want to make it clear, I don't have a problem shooting a wolf. Now, sometimes I might go with less lethal uh, tactics. I might I might throw a rock at a wolf. But the goal, the, the my, good video game. yeah, yeah, that's right. We should make the fighting for the faith video game, <laughs> you, where you can throw rocks and and at wolves or shoot them, depending. <laughs> Some wolves need to be hit with a bazooka, and uh, and others just an AK forty seven. So it just you know we will we will determine whether lethal force is necessary depending on the wolf in question, and. Uh, and our prayer for all of these wolves is that uh, God would open their eyes and that they would repent and uh, see their sin and preach Christ and him crucified. Preach uh, the law to convict people of their sins, to make them penitent, to show them that they have no hope in their own righteousness before God. And instead, 
you know, that uh, our salvation was won completely by Jesus Christ, who stood in our place, literally, suffered the wrath of God for our sins so that we might be saved, so that the righteousness, righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us who believe and have faith in Christ. So, um, you know, that being the case, you know, I, you know, uh, there's certain certain rules of engagement I will be engaging in, and you'll see how that all plays out. And it's not much of a difference than what I'm currently doing. But uh, definitely things like uh, saying something's retarded is out of line. You know, I, I, I don't want to sin like that. But um, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to shoot at, at wolves that need to be shot at. Period. It has to happen. So... And yeah, I understand that uh, that my wit is sharp and cutting, but that's not going to change. <laughs> so anyway, um, Jeff writes. We're going to do a little listener email, right? Jeff writes. He says, "I just wanted to say thank you for your program. I've been listening to you since you did the interview with English Leader from Slice of Laodicea. Your program is much needed in an age when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being twisted and compromised." I also agree with your sentiment that the majority of Christian radio is fluff, feel-good messages, and multiple steps on how to have a more fulfilling life here on earth. That is not the gospel. If I wanted mind-numbing, eternity-wasting garbage, I... (laughs) Jeff, Jeff, you you sound like me. Stop. I must have been a bad influence on him. (laughs) He says, if I wanted mind-numbing, eternity-wasting garbage, I would watch Oprah. But I have to hear this. But but I have to hear this on Christian radio. No wonder I have uh, my MP3 player in the car continually. I thank God for servants like you, Ingrid, and countless others uh, on the gospel internet radio who uh, completely get it. Yes. Well, there's a book out there on it. You know whether or not we get it. And apparently, I don't get it according to the people who think, who claim that they get it. What's it? <laughs> and how do you get it? And uh, talking about MP3 players, this is a, a wild age that we listen, you know, live in. A lot of people listen to Pirate Christian Radio via podcast. Uh, a lot of people are listening to this program via, uh, you, know, you know, you know, on-demand downloads. And you can uh, you can download any episode of Fighting for the Faith at fightingforthefaith.com. Each episode has a link. We're also on iTunes. Although last night, for some reason, iTunes did not update the XML. You know, we put the XML file up there, and iTunes has not picked it up yet. So you know, those those folks at Apple. Those wascally folks at Apple. Love Apple, by the way. Apple's one of my favorite companies. <laughs> uh, Jeff continues, says, I'll be uh, bold to say that the majority of pastors do not preach out of love for the gospel, but gain for themselves and an audience, status and recognition. Uh, so much for being servants. If uh, many of these pastors would truly repent of their worldliness, you would see a gross reduction of people attending their churches. Their buildings would be reminiscent of vacant strip malls where nobody's buying. Now, I'm going to say this, you know, uh, they're not uh, Jeff. They're not going to stop preaching what they're preaching. They're not going to stop feeding uh, to filling itching ears with what people want to hear. But I still think personally, it's a great goal for us to set that our goal is to take uh, uh, churches that are like that. These big mega churches that are preaching self-help and pop psychology and uh, and have as a goal to preach Christ and pray to the end that God would reduce them to empty strip malls that people would uh, find out that the real bread is at the churches where Christ is proclaimed and exalted and the gospel is literally placarded there, front and center, in all of its offensive glory for the forgiveness of sins and that people would attend those churches. But then again, I, 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 I may be just thinking wrong here. I don't know. It's up to God to decide these things. We've well, got to preach the gospel and let God worry about the numbers. 
That's really what it boils down to. You know, I don't know how many people are going to be saved when they hear the gospel. And, it, you know, and so my my job, your job is to preach the gospel to just about everybody, you know, and let God do what God's going to do. And, uh, you know, God is the one who's worried about the numbers. It's up to him. But see, the thing is, is filling a seat is not the same as uh, preaching Christ crucified for your sins and having uh, the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel give faith to that person in repentance. That, that, that's a difference. Just because somebody shows up at a seat and raises their hand at the end of a sappy prayer does not make them a Christian at all. Okay. Um. Anyway, this is a this is a gratuitous piece of fan mail. I can't believe I'm reading fan mail like that. Jeez, Rosebro, head of his own fan club. <laughs> um, now this was this was definitely uh, uh, a uh, a very good piece of news that I got. Remember a couple of days ago we talked about the Archbishop of Canterbury and uh, his support for Marian apparitions in Lourdes, France. And again, my uh, my French really leaves much to be. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> Me have no French, <laughs> no French. Yeah, um, he he's, he writes from England, and he's in uh, Surrey, Great Britain. He says, "You'll be glad to know that there are not a there are not a few people within the Church of England who are not only uncomfortable but very unhappy with the things uh, the Archie gets up to say. <laughs> they call him the Archie." <laughs> Okay, that's that's pretty good. That, that that's Archie is the Archbishop of Canterbury. So I, I'm, he's writing to let me know that there are people in uh, the Church of England who are very upset with what the Archie is doing. Archie. <laughs> the Archie. We'll have to call him that from now on. The Archie. Is there a Jughead and a Veronica? Uh, is there a Jughead and a Veronica? Okay. Great question. You're 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 aging yourself. You're dating yourself, John. <laughs> So he writes, George Carey, who was the last Archie, sometimes also speaks up very publicly opposing the present Archie. So we got Archie versus Archie um, and gets reported on the BBC News website. Well, thank God. That's his two pennies worth. Do they have pennies in Great Britain? No. I thought they were. What were they? Pence? I, I, I don't know how to trans. I, I got to tell you, I have <laughs> never been to Great Britain and I've never I I have no idea how their monetary system e- equates or translates into into the American monetary system. You know, is a pound roughly a dollar? Maybe. Yeah, and what's a quid? Yeah, I you know, I I watch a lot of British comedy, so you know, I hear about quid and, you know, and think what's a quid? Can anyone out there help me with this whole British monetary system so I understand how things break down? From the pound down to the pence, if the if it's a pence is the right way. Of, and where's the quid in all of this? Between penny to dollar. Yeah, penny to dollar. Yeah, exactly. You know, from the greatest amount of money to the least. Can somebody help me out here? <sighs> okay. Of course, you know, I could just Google it. No. Eh. Hey, uh, hey, Chris. Um, why you got a computer there, dude? <laughs> Okay, Martha writes regarding uh, <laughs> regarding our our audio that we played yesterday from the typical small group study. Um, that was fun. She says every woman's Bible study that I've ever taken has been one of the the fillings ilk. You know, what does this passage mean to you? Well, it makes me feel like fuzzy bunnies and God loves me and He never let anything bad happen to us. 
Okay. <laughs> she says, you know, every woman's Bible study she's been to has been filled with these that kind of ilk where every response is met with affirmation no matter how pagan they are. Making my point. I've I've experienced and seen this too. And that is is that um you know, this is going to sound really unpopular, but I've actually read an article and listened to an interview from a Lutheran pastor who basically is making the case that small group studies are not biblical. Um, that small group studies are not biblical, and the reason being is is that they're 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 unless they're really falling under the true authority, care, and eye and watchful eye of a shepherd, a trained pastor, that uh, what happens is is these small group studies are like you know. They, they become breeding grounds for heresies. You know, I, I think of them as really dirty sponges. That, that, you know, when I think of bacteria and breeding grounds, I think of kitchen sponges. I can't stand touching a kitchen sponge. It just drives me crazy. Because, you know, if, if it's an older sponge, it smells bad, you know, and it's just a breeding ground for all kinds of... Ugh. So I think about these small group studies kind of much the same way I think of a sponge. <laughs> it's a breeding ground for heresy. Anyway, so yeah, it, even in these mega churches, some of these mega churches have tried to take more control over their small group studies and and have a consistent thing going on there. So what they'll do is they'll you know re, they'll record DVDs and they'll have everybody you know plays the same DVD on the same night and ask the same questions and and you know the thing is is that the again this is not this is not under the watchful care of a pastor and um and pagan responses to a question regarding the scripture must be challenged as that and most people are not confrontational most people are not willing to say hey wait a second that's not what the bible teaches or, or lovingly correct or rebuke when necessary so what happens is is that you know the the polite thing to do in a small group study when when asked the question what does this mean to you and the person gives you a pagan response, everyone goes, oh, wow, that's deep. Wow, I'm so glad that God revealed that to you. He didn't, and you shouldn't say that. In fact, um, those of you who listen to this program who attend small group studies, what I'd really like to challenge you to do is the next time somebody in your small group study gives a pagan answer to a Christian question, please do me a favor and... um. I need you to do the tough thing. Are you ready? Here's the tough thing. Tell that person, I'm sorry, but that's not what the scripture teaches. What you've said is wrong. That's not sound doctrine. The Bible contradicts that. See how far you get. And then report back to me. Would love to get an email from somebody who would be willing to do that kind of work. Will it be you? Will you be the person who goes forward and says, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible teaches. Love to hear from you. Okay, uh, we got a news story here. Uh, this is an interesting story, so we got to play our news music here. From USA Today, publisher puts NIV Bible in Americans' handwriting. Handwriting. Well, here's... <laughs> Okay, I, I, this is definitely a practical Bible that everybody needs here. Um, the uh, the story is written by uh, Kathy Lynn Grossman from USA Today. And it says, uh, Once only the elite, the educated, and the holy had the privilege of inscribing the words of the Bible verse by verse. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
we're off on a on a on a bad note here. Once only the elite and the educated and the holy. Can can anyone tell me? Can you point to somebody who's holy? No, no, no one. I I know one person who was holy. Jesus Christ. Okay. Once only the elite. <laughs> We're sticking it to the man here because <laughs> that, that's what this sounds like. It sounds like they're really sticking it to the man. They're sticking it to the elite. <laughs> you elitist people, you used to have the privilege of writing and inscribing the words of the Bible, but now us mere common folk, us mere mortals, are going to be able to write the Bible with our own handwriting. How ridiculous is this? Okay, once only the elite, the educated and the holy, had the privilege of inscribing the words of the Bible verse by verse. But now Americans, coast to coast, will have a chance to hand copy a verse of Scripture to appear in a special edition of the new international version of the Bible known as the NIV. To mark the 30th anniversary of the NIV, which has sold over 300 million copies worldwide, publisher Zondervan launches a campaign today to create... The unique edition, which will also include its 31,173 verses, each handwritten by a different person. <laughs> Boy, is this going to be hard to read. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> a huge... <laughs> Sorry, this is killing me. A huge blue RV with the logo BibleAcrossAmerica.com splashed on its side and inspiration at every turn. <laughs> okay. Uh, on its back, <laughs> takes, a, takes off on a five-month journey bringing writing stations to 90 stops in 44 states at churches, landmarks, and popular settings such as NASCAR races. <laughs> Okay, it, <laughs> let me translate this for you, okay? <laughs> we are going to get a new version of the Bible, and there will be verses written by some guy named Bubba. Yeah, Shazam, I, I barely know how to write my name, but, you know, they asked me to write down John 642. <laughs> yeah, that's my verse. Can't read it worth a darn, though. <laughs> Man. I I don't know what to say about this. Um, <laughs> here's a quote from Zondervan. It says, "Before the Gutenberg, the first Bible printed on a printing press, they were all handwritten. That's because there were no printing presses. They didn't have the technology to mass produce this th stuff. And by the way, handwriting a Bible leads to all kinds of, you know, little errors creep in there." Anyway, they were all handwritten, says Zondervan's uh, Steve Sammons. In our digital age, we lose sight of what it means to have a tangible product we create by our hands. This will truly make the NIV America's Bible. You've got to be kidding me. Of course, there will be celebrity signers as well. Sammons has invited President Bush, Vice President Cheney, and both presidential candidates and their running mates to write a verse. Evangelist uh, Billy Graham has even agreed to copy one. 
Two young married couples will be living in the RV, driving its cross, it cross country and setting up each stop. They will give out 500 index cards a day, each with a verse from the NIV printed on the front, and to 500 people uh, to 500 people to copy twice onto special paper. Someone, someone standing in line might draw their favorite verse or the longest verse, which is Esther eight nine, with which has seventy two words, or the shortest verse, John eleven thirty five, which is Jesus wept. A photo facsimile of all the verses will be compiled and published in time for Christmas of two thousand and nine. Well, praise the Lord, oh, man! I'm so glad this. This is silly. The index will uh, list each participant's name and the number of of the verse he or she copied. Uh, you know, there. Uh, by the way, if they asked me to write a verse, believe me when I tell you, it wouldn't get published. I- anybody who knows me and has seen my handwriting will realize that nobody on planet Earth could possibly be blessed by any verse that I wrote in my own handwriting. In fact, my wife claims that my Greek handwriting is much more legible than my English handwriting. If I leave a note for somebody, people will come to me and go, what's a minky? I mean, it's that bad. You know, it's it's really. (sighs) Man. Any of you people out there going to buy the uh, NIV Bible just because some, you know, 31,000 Americans have written a verse in it? I mean, how how practical is this going to be as far as reading is concerned? I mean, it's probably going to end up looking like, you know, some eclectic hodgepodge, you know, where each each page is going to be very, very difficult to uh, to understand, to, you know, to just visually. It's I can't imagine what they ah, this is in the um, this is what we call a publicity stunt. Obviously, uh, the NIV is struggling against better translations like the ESV. So we've got to come up with a gimmick. A gimmick to sell more NIV Bibles. So what are we going to do? Everybody, you know, the, the, we've done a market survey and we've and we've discovered that there's a large segment of the, of the of the Bible purchasing market that really is sick and tired of actually being able to read the Bible legibly because it's it, it's set in in these digital age uh, fonts that you know that are consistent and readable and what they really are looking for is a bible that is written in somebody else's hand oh man what do you say to something like this <clears throat> all right i'm gonna have to put that in the museum of idolatry under i'm gonna have to create a new section in the museum of idolatry for like useless products you know, I actually have a few of those in, in the Jesus Junk Wing at the Museum of Idolatry. An example would be the world's smallest Bible. I I actually, there's in the Jesus Junk Wing, there is a couple of like uh, really, really nanotechnology Bibles where um, you can wear the entire Bible on your neck as a piece of jewelry. Okay, and what they've done is they've used laser inscribing so that the entire Bible is in this tiny little microfiche film type of thing. And, um, and, and see, you can wear the entire Bible and, and, and this is great because I'm, I'm sure people like Patricia King can use this for like warding off werewolves and vampires, you know, or her Barbie. You know uh, right, exactly. So, you know, if it, and maybe if you're a soldier, you can, you can wear the entire Bible as, as an amulet across, uh, on, as, on a necklace next to your dog tags and maybe it'll stop bullets. 
you know, but I mean, how useful is a Bible that's so small that you can't even read it with a human eye? I don't need to read the Bible. I have the Bible. You know, and, you know, of course, wearing a Bible around your neck that's normal size, I, that would probably hurt. You know, you'd end up having to go see a chiropractor if you did that. But see, they've got, you know, they've got these world's smallest Bible. I've seen the the entire Bible on a single eight and a half by 11 page. Again, the font's so insanely small, you can't read it. But there it is, the Bible, the whole thing. Practical for stopping bullets and, war and, and slaying werewolves. <sighs> Just give me a Bible. Let's start opening it up and reading it. Some of the, sometimes, you know, Americans, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll put a link up to this uh, USA Today story at uh, Fighting for the Faith. So you, <laughs> you can, if you're like, hey, you, you NASCAR fans out there, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stereotype, but I'm serious. I mean, I've I've watched NASCAR races and I've seen the people who are interviewed in the crowds at NASCAR races are. are do I want a Bible that was written by some lady in a tube top? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> serious, come on. <sighs> Call me radical. Call me a traditionalist, but I prefer my, my uh, Bible to be readable, and I don't mind if it's in the same font for the whole thing. <laughs> and I don't even need green letters. Don't need that. Red letters I prefer. That helps me out, actually. That's a, that's a very nice study aid, pointing me to the words of Christ. Um, but uh, yeah, my my prediction for this uh, Bible is that uh, they they're saying that they're gonna you know that there's gonna be thirty one thousand one hundred and seventy three you know there's thirty one thousand one hundred seventy three verses in the Bible. That means there's gonna be thirty one thousand one hundred seventy three people who've contributed a verse to this Bible, which then means um, that. Um, sales for the NIV Bible in in handwriting will roughly be about thirty one thousand one hundred and seventy three. Because <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to give away. Hey, we've got great news. Your verse made it into the NIV Bible, and so that person will you know will pony up the you know twenty thirty forty bucks to buy their copy of this Bible, and. Um, yeah. So my prediction for this Bible is that total sales will be roughly 31,000 for this Bible. I may be wrong. But uh if you would like to uh visit their website so that you can contribute to this this groundbreaking landmark making new oh, ridiculous Bible, um bibleacrossamerica.com. Bible Across America dot com. <sighs> okay. Where well, man. How are we doing on time? About that good, huh? <laughs> um tell you what, we're gonna take our break. When we come back from the break, we're gonna dive into a sermon review. We're gonna take a listen to a sermon from uh <laughs> from one of my pa favorite pastors, Pastor Chris Songson. I, 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 and I use the term pastor very loosely here. He's more of a life coach kind of guy from South Hills Community Church in Corona, California. And uh, they just did uh, a sermon series called The Moment of Truth. And we're going we're gonna to examine this sermon from the point of view of law and gospel. 
and uh, take a look at uh, what he's doing with scripture in this one because we've got this tiny, eensy, leensy little bit of scripture in here, and let's see what he does with it. Uh, but we'll we'll cover that when we get back from our break. So if you would like to email me and let me know how you expect the new handwritten NIV Bible to change your life and that you want to stick it to the man who's been forcing you to use computer technology to make everything look the same and you want to contribute to this Bible with your own handwriting, do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. And we will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the Big Picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation theology made accessible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseboro, your servant in Christ. Mid-show. Sermon review time. We're going to be reviewing a sermon from the sermon series called The Moment of Truth. Pastor Chris Sonkson, or life coach Chris Sonkson. By the way, Chris, (laughs) I should put a link up to there. Uh, I've done a lot of research on Pastor Chris Sonkson. He's one of these purpose-driven guys and uh, definitely is bought into the seeker-sensitive approach to doing church, if you can call it that. I don't call it that because it doesn't resemble church at all, according to Scripture. There's no devotion to the apostles' teaching. There's no proclamation of Christ and him crucified. It's about uh, meeting people's felt needs. And uh, this guy also is he has a website where <laughs> he, he promotes himself as a motivational speaker and a life coach. 
you know, pastor, motivational speaker, life coach. Does he live in a van down by the river? <laughs> he lives in a van down by the river. <laughs> so this is uh, from the Moment of Truth sermon, and we're going to pick this thing apart. And uh, the, the, the way we're going to analyze this today is law and gospel. And here's what I want you to think about. Is he correctly giving us the law? Is he properly handling God's word at this point? And what's his solution to the problem that he's going to bring up? Who's responsible here for uh, making things right? Listen carefully to Pastor Six, uh, Chris Songson's Down by the River sermon called The Moment of Truth. God, we thank you so much for the things that we have learned here. Whoops, hang on a second here. That's the end of the sermon. Roseboro didn't recue it. Roseboro needs to learn how to do his job better. Uh, here we go. Here, Pastor Chris. Sonson. It is good to see you here. I want to welcome you to South Hills Church. I want to welcome all those who are watching at one of our incredible campuses at Eastvale or at our South Campus. It is great to be with all of you. He's, do, he's doing the multi-site thing. So they, they have a main, uh, a main place in, in Corona, and then they have multi-site campuses at different movie theaters that uh, you can experience South Hills Church. Without a real pastor, just some kind of a ghostly visual image. As we kick off this brand new series called The Moment of Truth. Now, how can you get the most out of this brand new series that we're doing called The Moment of Truth? Well, I shared with it last week via video, and this is the way you could do it. Number one, you can invite and encourage all of us to invite at all of our campuses, invite someone to attend. Uh, Uh, Please don't. Because you're actually, if you invite somebody to attend this church, they're going to be given spiritual poison. You really don't want to invite your friends to this church. I encourage you to be here every single week. Seven services, three locations. You can find room. And I also encourage you to join a small group. You realize that we have, for the month of September, we have small groups that are, during the week, going to be going through the same stuff that we're talking about uh, during the weekend services. And we nearly have eight out of every ten adults involved in a small group during September. And if you are one of the two out of the ten that are not, change that today. On your way out, sign up at the campuses. Make sure that you sign up. And all of us, if you are a part of a small group for the month of September during this series, you need to grab this booklet on your way out. Everybody that is part of a small group for the month of September, you got to grab this booklet at the way out here and on all of our campuses. It is going to be an incredible series. Invite someone, attend each week, get in a small group, and I promise you God's going to do some incredible things as we launch this series called The Moment of Truth. Now, Let's take, take a gra- or grab your outline. Let's take a look at it real quick. What, it says right there, what are some, read it with me, what are some life? Ready? What are some life experiences? Now, hold on a second here. <laughs> he's having people read along from the notes, and he's not even reading a passage of, of Scripture here. Now, I've been to a lot of churches in my lifetime. I've been all over the place. I've been in Catholic churches, Methodist churches, Nazarene churches, Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, Lutheran churches. And normally when the, you, when you have a responsive reading, um, the thing that is, you know, you're encouraging people to respond with you or read aloud is a passage of scripture. You've heard of it. It's called the Bible. Um, usually, you know, in, in, in times past, you know, before the Bible became irrelevant, um, people would actually read it in church. I know you think it can't be done today, but it can, um, Anyway, let's kind of kick off this series and get into it. What are some of life experiences? Now, what I want you to do is kind of yell out things that are life experiences that a lot of people have that they never forget. What's a life experience that you have that you never forget? When what? 
I know, death. I When I die, I'll never forget that. And and if you die and uh, not trusting in Christ, not having faith in Christ, you go to hell. So you'll never forget that moment of death because it'll be the window into an eternity of torment. Never forget that moment. I don't think that's what he's talking about here, though. Sorry. What happens? Have a baby. You'll never forget that. Okay, I never forget it when my wife had the baby and I passed out. I'll never forget it. Okay, anybody else? A life experience. Okay, when you get married, that's a life experience. What else? When you get divorced. First car. When you meet someone special. Uh, or, or your first kiss. Or your first date. You know, or, or whatever it is. We have life experiences that we all remember and that we all have in our, li- in our life. We all- what does this have to do with anything in the Bible? I mean... <laughs> Two minutes, 22 seconds into the sermon so far, and uh, nothing, nothing. uh, uh. I'll have life experiences. Now, it's been kind of fun because for the last few months, I've been taking up surfing. Tell us about yourself, please. Come on. You're the pastor here. Let's hear about you. Now, I know some of you are just holding it in from laughing at me, but I've been taking up surfing, and I've been really. Did anybody surf? Anybody? You know, I live in a coastal town, and I, I, I had to take up bodyboarding. And the reason I took up bodyboarding is because many times surfing required, it's, it's, in order to not freeze to death out there, you have to wear a wetsuit. And uh, let's just say that I look like a large aquatic mammal when I'm uh, in a wetsuit. And so that's not a flattering thing. So I don't – it's not about me. Sorry. All right. Yeah, no, not at, not at uh, uh, Raging Water. Not, but uh, – um, the real stuff, you know, and I've been taking up surfing and learning how to do it. And man, it's, it's tiring, it's, but it's awesome. And last weekend, I took the weekend off and, uh, and uh, was with my family. And we went down to San Clemente and stayed a couple days there. Had a great time. And I, I'm bummed I didn't run into him. I went surfing like three days in a row. And it was absolutely awesome. But one of the days, I got to tell you, now I got a big, if you've ever surfed before, I have a really long board. It wouldn't even fit in the auditorium. It's, um, but um, bump, it's a really long board because it's easier to surf on. And so I'm learning to surf, you know, and, and some guys gave me some lessons, some friends of mine. And so I was out there surfing and I was kind of by myself or with a bunch of other people, but not, not anybody that was partnering with me. And uh, so this big old wave came, it was a pretty good sized wave, and I couldn't get under it and it crushed me and it crushed the guy next to me. And so we were, boom, we went down. You know, I could feel my whole body go exactly onto the sand. Just bam, it went on the sand and came back up. And then another one, boom. And when I went down the the second time, I I, I could feel this body underneath me. And we were, we were wrestling around and the body was going like this. And I could feel it. And I was like, get off me. You know, it was just, it was all happening. And the best part was, well, it wasn't good for him, is all of a sudden I come up. I'm like, what's going on? He comes up. My surfboard went the other way and it was hanging onto my foot, but I didn't realize that the leash had wrapped around the guy's throat and it was choked. Does this story actually have a point? Now, here's the deal. I don't have a problem with somebody telling a story if the story's being used to help dig out uh, what the Bible means in this saying. Uh, don't get me wrong. You can tell stories. Okay, but... Um, what is this helping me? How is this helping me understand God's word better? Or is this just filler? Choking him. And he was big, which wasn't good for me. 
And so it was choking the guy. And he comes up out of the water. He's like, ah, 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 like that. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, what are you doing? You know, and so immediately I went, I'm a pastor. I don't fight. You know, I gave up killing people when I became a Christian. And there was, he he was choking us up. Ah, he's going like this, you know. And it was just... But surfing has been incredible. I apologize to the guy, and I got out alive. But surfing has been incredible. That first time that I got up was an experience. Now, there's a major difference between a life experience and a life-altering moment. Say those two with me. There's a major difference between a life and a life-altering moment. Maybe- can, can you give me a verse to support that, Pastor? I mean, seriously, are these categories that are biblical that you're dealing with here? Oh, wow. Johnny, what'd you learn at church today? Well, I learned that there's a difference between a life experience and a life-altering moment. Oh, Johnny, wow, you feel you're you're a lot closer to God now, aren't you? Oh, you know it, honey. Major different life experiences: first kiss, first date, first time you get up on a surfboard, first you know baby, whatever. Those are life experiences. Life-altering moments are different. Life-altering moments are, are are described like this. It's actually on your outline. It says, "What is the life-altering moment?" Let's read the answer together. Okay. Okay. We're not going to read scripture. We're going to read from the notes. It starts off when you realize. Everybody do it, including at our campuses. Everybody together. When you realize, if you don't change, it will affect your life or the lives around you. Now, that's a life-altering moment. A life-altering moment is when you realize if you don't change a certain area of your life, it is going to affect you and the other people around you. In other words, we all have problems. Every one of them. Say, I have problems. Okay, you all admitted it. Is this group therapy? Uh, hi, I'm Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. He just has every... I, 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 I'm, I'm Chris, and I have problems. Is this group therapy? What is this? This isn't Christian preaching. We're five minutes, 30 seconds into the sermon called the moment of truth. Pastor Chris Songson preaching, um, if you can call it that. And so far he's had people read along from the notes and no Bible verses to, to be. I mean, he's helped clear. I mean, I was always confused about the difference between life experiences and life altering moments. I mean, many times I actually probably confuse the two. But thanks to Pastor Chris Songson, I now know the difference. Okay, you got issues. I have issues. Okay, we all have problems. We have issues. Some of us They're have... called sins. S-I-N. Disobedience to God. Sin. They're not issues. They're not problems. They're sins. You know, what is it with people? I mean, when you talk about... Somebody cheats on his wife, and how do we say? How do we talk about it? That person had an affair. No, that guy was committing adultery. Ugh. He's just challenged with telling the truth. No, he's a liar. Of addictions, some of those addictions our families know about. Some of the addictions we have, nobody knows about. Some of us have attitude issues. Some of us have behavior. Yeah, I have an attitude issue. I I have a very bad attitude towards this sermon already. Issues. Some of us have misplaced priorities, and all these things that are in our life, all these things that are inside of our heart and inside of our inside of our life, sometimes the light kind of gets exposed to us, and it becomes a life-altering moment where it's like, okay, I know that I need to change, so am I going to change or not? I know that I need to change my behavior. I know that I need to change that attitude. I know I need to change that addiction. Am I going to change or not? It's a life altering moment. Now, up here in this briefcase, I have something that... Uh, 
Okay, so this is all about changing your life because you've had a life-altering moment. You, you, you've got addictions, problems, hang-ups, bad attitudes, or something. You, you've got to change. You gotta change. Let me say that again. You gotta change. Law or gospel? And if it's law, which it is, is this the law done lawfully? Or is this a misuse of the law? The purpose of the law is to expose our sinful, wretched condition, to give us knowledge of our sin, to cause us to despair of our righteousness so that we realize that we are in deep kimchi before God and that we got nothing to offer him. One of the wonderful ways that Jesus talked about it is this, the spiritually poor, the spiritual beggar, if you would. Are you poor in spirit? That's what that means. Along with it comes penitence and sorrow for the wickedness that you've done. But he's not preaching the law quite like that. It's the you need to do things to make things better in your life approach, which is a misuse of God's law, by the way, that you all love. And that is money. Everybody look, say money. Okay. All you got, wipe the slobber off of your faces, please from lusting after it. Thank you. Now this is money. Yeah. yeah and you know, I, I've always said this about money. Some people say it's, it's hard and cold. I think it's soft and warm like a cookie. You know, I it just, it's a soft and warm cash. And this is money. Now, Money is, money is an incredible thing. Money is something that people really want. We all want it. We spend one third of our life trying to earn it. We do really want money. And it's very tempting. Some people will murder for money. Some people will rob for money. Some people will steal for money. Some people will risk spending time in prison for money. Everybody wants money, and it's a tempting thing. I remember when I was at a store, and I was, and I was buying some stuff, some clothes or whatever, and I had cash on me, and it came to like, you know. You notice that we're already he's preaching more about himself than the Bible and what the Bible says. I mean, we've learned about his surfing trip to San Clemente. Now we're learning about something that happened to him in a store. He's preaching his life, right? I mean, has he really helped me understand what the Bible says to this point? Now, we're getting close to the Bible passage. It's coming up. Just so you know, we're seven minutes seven minutes and 11 seconds into his sermon, and uh, Christ has not made an appearance yet. He'll make a very brief cameo. And uh, praise God for that. And we'll see what he does with him. All right. No, $91. And I had five twenties on me, a hundred dollars. I'll never forget. It was years ago. And I laid out the money. I was, I was a pastor at another church. I laid out the money, a hundred dollars. And she's supposed to give me back $9 and some change and give me my clothes. I don't know what the lady did, but for whatever reason, I gave her a hundred dollars for a $91 bill, gave her a hundred dollars. And she gave me back $300 in cash. And I sat there for a second and I was like, first of all, I looked around anybody from church or no. Okay, good. And I sat there and I, and I remember praying out loud, Lord, thanks. You're number one. You know, uh, no. But I remember holding on to that cash and, go, and just for a split second going, they can afford it. They're, I, you know, all justifying it in my mind. I'm thinking, what am I doing? So finally I gave, you know, 50 bucks back. And um, I finally gave it back. Now, now here's the deal. Money is a tempting thing. There was a guy in the Bible. He was loaded. The dude had money. You know, he had tons of cash. Okay, first allusion to the fact that there's a Bible at all and that God has something he might want to say to us this morning from the Bible. Eight minutes, nine seconds. 
It's not a record for Chris, but uh, we are literally, you know, a quarter of the way through this sermon, and uh, first appearance of Christ, even beginning to be alluded to, or the Bible comes at the uh, quarter way through the sermon, Mark. And so he had a ton of money on him, and uh, he was worth a lot of money. And Jesus had a conversation with him one day. I want to pick it up in Matthew chapter 19. It's on your outline. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. I'll read it and just kind of follow along. So someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? Now, that's a good question. Jesus is in front of you. Hey, I don't want to go to hell. How do I go to heaven? Good question to ask. Look what he says. Why ask Why? Uh, Ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man replied. Now, this is the rich guy. He goes, which ones do I got to keep, Jesus? Jesus said to him, uh, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not uh, testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. Well, what else must I do? Jesus told him, well, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I want to help you out here. I'm going to point something out. Pastor Songson uh, doesn't really understand the difference between law and gospel. He has no concept of law and gospel because, um, well, we'll, well, you'll see that as it develops here. But he's, he's going to completely miss the point of this particular passage of Scripture. Let me help you out here. Scripture is really clear. The purpose of the law is to give you knowledge of your sin. That is the primary focus of the of the law. So let's listen to this exchange when you understand law and gospel. Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, Behold, a man came upon, up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, immediately in reading this question, your radar should be going off. Whoop, whoop. Okay, this guy's got a problem. Why? Because he thinks that he can have eternal life by doing good deeds. He thinks he has eternal life by doing good deeds, by keeping the law. Scripture's clear, Galatians. By works of the law, no one will be saved. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then Christ died for nothing. Romans chapter 3, read it again. No one will be justified in his sight by observing the law. So, with those passages in mind, when we come to this little story, where we've got this rich young guy who's loaded with cash, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must what good deed must I do to have eternal life? All right? He misunderstands the purpose of the law. And he thinks he's righteous. But, you know, he's... You know, and so, okay, so Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Did you catch that? That little dig right there helps you see what's going on. Jesus asked him, why do you ask me about one is, uh, what is good? There is only one who is good. Jesus, in that little comment, excludes this guy from the one who is good. Yet this guy thinks he's good. You see what's going on? He says there's only one that's good. And if you, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. 
Now, what is Jesus doing here? Is he saying that this guy will be saved if he keeps the commandments? Well, surely he wouldn't be if he kept it perfectly. But Jesus knows that he's a sinner because Christ himself has just said that there's only one who is good. And he's not referring to this guy. So Jesus said to him, well, no, the, the man said to Jesus, well, which ones? And Jesus said, well, you know, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this guy's blind and arrogant response. The young man said to Jesus, all of these I've kept from my youth. I already do that. Does he really? Does he really? The answer is no, he doesn't. So what's Jesus going to do? He's going to crank up the law. Crank up the law. This guy is blind and is arrogant and is pharisaical and believes that he's righteous by his law keeping. And yet he doesn't even realize how wretched and miserable his condition is really before God because he doesn't keep the law. Jesus has already said there's only one who is good, and he was not referring to this guy. All of these I've kept. That's baby stuff. What do I still lack? <laughs> well, Jesus said to him, well, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Ouch. Wait a second, maybe I'm not as righteous as I thought I was. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He wasn't even aware of his idolatry. He wasn't even aware of the fact that he had taken money and loved and trusted it above God. He didn't even realize that he wasn't good. He didn't even realize that he really wasn't a commandment keeper, but that he was a commandment breaker. And what did Jesus do to this poor guy? He cranked the law up to its full strength and poured it on him without watering any of it down. Why? Because this kid needed to know that he was a sinner. Because there's no one good except for one, and you ain't him. Now, that's the proper way of looking at this passage. Jesus isn't saying that if this guy had done that, he, that he would be saved or that he would be perfect. He's, pointing, he's using the law to show, them, show him his miserable, sinful condition so that he would stop trusting in his possessions and instead trust and follow Christ. Now, let's see what Pastor Songson does with this passage. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away what? sad for he had many possessions this guy had a ton of cash the guy was loaded he had many possessions he had money on him he had a lot of money and so jesus comes to him and he sits down with him and he says look man basically you got a lot of money and i don't have any i don't think jesus had a problem with money he created the concept uh, he's songson you're missing the whole point of the passage i don't think there was the issue wasn't the money the issue was hey buddy you are allowing this thing to be a God in your life. You're allowing this thing to be more important than me. Yes, that's true. 
And if you allow this thing to be more important than me, it's not only going to create problems between me and you, it's going to create problems between you and your wife. It's going to create problems between you and your, and your morals and your ethics and all the things that you do. Your priorities are going to get it out of whack. If you allow this to be your God, it's going to create a lot of problems for you. So Jesus wasn't saying, hey, money's the problem. Get rid of it all. That wasn't the issue. What he was saying was this. There- and the, the issue is that this guy is self-righteous and he thinks that he's, he's righteous when he's not. He thinks he's good when he's not. There's no one good except for one. There's an area of your life that I want to shine some light on. And I want you to change that area of your life. So what are you going to do about it? What? The way Chris is reading this, he's actually taking this this rich young ruler's word for it that he kept the law, but that there's just this other compartment that Jesus wants to shine some light on. Chris, you're missing the whole point of the passage here, dude. This is not about that one little compartment in this guy's life that Jesus wants to shine the light of truth on and have him clean it up. The point is, is that this guy's a wretched sinner and he doesn't even realize it. Wretched through and through, wicked and sinful. And in need of a savior, he needs Christ. But he he has deceived himself into thinking that he is well and that he is healthy when he is sick and depraved and dead in his sins. There's an area of your life. There's a behavior problem. There's an addiction. There's a it's sin lust problem. There's an oh, oh, the way you treat your husband or your wife or your kids. There's a problem here, and I want you to deal with it before you get hurt or before someone that you love gets hurt. I want you to deal with it. What? Oh, Chris, you're not dealing with sin as if it's sin here. This is like a surface treatment of the problem here. Jesus was exposing the light to this guy on an area of his life. How many of you have ever walked? No, he was trying to show this guy that he was wretched and depraved and he wasn't keeping the law like he thought he was. Out of a theater during the daylight. You know what I'm talking about? And you, when, when you come out, when you go into the theater, it's great because you can't see anything. You're like, excuse me, pardon. You sit on people's laps, eat their popcorn. It's all good. Oh, by the way, I've listened to the whole sermon. That's the rest of the, that, that's all the scripture you're going to get at this point. Good. But when you come out of the theater and it's dark or it's light outside still, you go to see a one o'clock show, you come out at three 30 and you come walking out. And what do you do? What happens to your eyes? What do you have to do? You squint because you come out and the sun's shining and you're kind of like this. Now you can do one of two things. When you're walking out of the theater, you can walk out and go, man, that's too much. And go back inside the theater and see another movie, you know, like good Christians do. And, um, but I'm bumped. Or you can continue to face the light. That was was happening with this guy. All of a sudden, Jesus said, look, he said, this is more important to you than anything else. And that's an area of your life that needs to be dealt with. So what are you going? Okay, Chris, you, okay, you sort of kind of got the diagnosis here. Connect the rest of the dots. If this guy is putting money above Christ, putting money above God, is he really keeping the commandments? Is he really as righteous as he has deceived himself into thinking that he is? No, he's not. This isn't about him just cleaning up some kind of a part of his life. It's about him coming to grips with the fact that he is an idolatrous sinner who is not nearly as good as he thinks he is. In fact, he's the opposite. Going to do? Are you going to follow me and serve me, or are you going to follow this money and serve the money? There's an area of your light that I desperately want you to change. La 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 la. Properly, improperly, improperly preached. This is not a correct usage of the law. 
And the light was being exposed and he had a choice. Was he going to walk away or was he going to face the light? And you and I, we have the same choice. What are we going to do? Oh, man. Here, here comes the moral soup. There are areas of your life that we're going to talk about all this month. No, Chris, you're wrong. Actually, there are not areas of my life that, that I struggle with. I struggle with the whole thing. Do you realize I break every one of the commandments on a weekly basis and on a daily basis, probably every hour and every minute? There's not, it's not like I can say, you know, hey, you know, I've got seven of the 10 pretty much buttoned down and sewed up, you know? So what I really need to do is now focus on those remaining three and bring those under control too. Oh, Okay, all this month, maybe there's an addiction you have and you haven't even admitted it to anybody. Sin, it's called sin. Can you say the word? Repeat after me. Sin. That's what the Bible calls it. Sin. An addiction problem. Makes you sound like you're some kind of an innocent victim. Oh, I'm an innocent victim of an addiction problem. I would be a righteous person except for I have been victimized by addiction. Maybe there's a behavior problem. It's called sin. Sin. It's not a behavior problem. It's called sin. I have a behavior problem. I. <laughs> You're treating your spouse. Man, it's getting closer and closer to that marriage coming to an end. Maybe the way you're treating your children, you're setting yourself up for failure. Hey, maybe I'm sinning and I'm getting closer and closer to death and I don't even realize it's stalking me and that I'm going to be dead tomorrow and, I, and I'm going to have to give an accounting of my life before God who is righteous and just. Maybe it's your attitude or your actions or your behavior or your private or personal issues. It's going to end. <laughs> personal issues. They're not sins. They're personal issues. I've got personal issues. Dear Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for my personal issues. End up hurting you and it's going to end up hurting someone else. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have this moment of truth, this life altering moment all month long where it's like, okay, are you going to deal with this thing once and for all? Or are you going to let it keep running your life? Are you going to go back inside the theater and just sit there? Or are you going to come out and let yourself be exposed to the light and deal with this thing once and for all? Well, you basically have two once and for all. I'm going to deal with this thing once and for all. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to stop sinning. I've got these, I've got seven of the eight commandments locked down and I'm going to once and for all deal with those remaining three so that I can say that I am righteous because I keep God's law. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to settle the score. I'm going to fall on my face if I try that. Two choices. It's on your outline. Let's take a look at it. Reaction number one. Let's take a look at it here. Reaction number one is this. You can A, avoid the light. Write that in. Say it with me out loud. Okay. You know what we need is a good sound bite from that lady from Poltergeist. Come into the light. <laughs> Don't go into the light, Carol Ann. Don't go into the light. Avoid. Come on, everybody out loud together. What is it? Avoid the light. Where is that in the Bible? Number one, you can avoid the light. Now, we're a society that loves to avoid things. Wouldn't you agree? Yes or no? Apparently, we're done with God's word at this point. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for making a cameo appearance and telling us. Okay, we don't, most of us don't like conflict. How many don't like conflict? Be, I, I like it. I, be honest, okay? How many actually kind of do like it and be honest? Yeah, there you are. Blood on your knuckles. Yeah, you like it. Now, some of us, we like conflict, but most of us don't. We want to avoid it. Some of us, we avoid getting on the scale. It's like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, I agree there. I, <laughs> although I've lost six pounds. Ooh. I have lost six pounds. 
you know, it's that purpose-driven kayak that I'm driving. I'm sorry, paddle-driven kayak. <laughs> and the walking I'm doing with my wife. I'm, I'm almost half the man I used to be. <laughs> Only 64 pounds, uh, 60, uh, a lot more, uh, less than 70 to go. Some of us avoid uh, other issues in our life because we don't want to deal with it. My wife, uh, last weekend, in addition to us being in San Clemente, she had been training for the last couple months, and she ran her first half marathon. Thir- Praise the Lord. Wow. Thank you for... Who cares about your wife running a half marathon? Can you tell us what the Bible actually teaches, Pastor? Would you feed me God's word? Just, I mean, I'd like a... I mean, you gave me just a nasty little taste of it. I mean, I'd really like a little bit more if I could, please. 13 miles. A Disney, uh, it was a Disneyland marathon for 13 miles. And, uh, and she finished. And she did it in like two hours and 20 minutes and did a great job. And uh, me and my son were there to, you know, welcome her and all this stuff. And it was interesting because, it, well, first of all, it's kind of funny, kind of. Uh, first of all, to run, you know, just around on public streets, they charge $100. $100. Not Disney bucks, $100. $100 to run. Then, who cares? What does this have to do with God's word? Then she went early in the morning to start running, and we went later to be there at the finish line. Each person, each car that parked just to watch the marathon, which started at, at 6 in the morning and got done about 8.30, just to watch the marathon, you had to pay $12 to park. 12 bucks. $100, then $12 for her to park, then $12 for me to park, and then $3 for a 7 a.m. churro. All of that... Okay, anyone, quickly, what was the total money he spent that day? Who cares? That's coming together, you know? And you see, I, Mickey was there, too, at the big celebration. I'm Praise the Lord, Mickey Mouse was there. Who cares? Can you tell me what God's Word says, Pastor Songson? sitting there thinking, look at him smiling. Of course he's smiling. Like he's inside going, hey, suckers, keep paying, keep paying. You know, he's there. Now, my wife was running and she's 13 miles and she's about to pass out. And I was at the finish line like a good person. My son was there. We were holding our donut. We were waving her in. Running in from 13 miles. So there we are running and she's doing this 13 miles. Now, she wanted me to run. She Actually, she was asking anybody to run with her and she ended up running by herself. But she was like, run with me. And she was trying to get all these people. I was avoiding it. I was thinking there's no way that I could run that. You know, there is not a chance. You know, I'll pass out, I'll die, you know, and, and then Mickey will just step on my head. I mean, it wouldn't be good, you know, and, and I, I'm trying to avoid it. We are good at avoiding things. We're, we're, we are good in our society. Yeah, kind of like the way you're avoiding God's word, avoiding actually telling people about their sin, avoiding telling them about Christ and him crucified for their sins, avoiding preaching God's word really in context and really doing good expository preaching. The way you're avoiding things, Pastor Songson? At avoiding things. So you have a choice. Throughout this series, you have a choice. Are you going to avoid that thing in your life, that one thing, that behavior, that addiction, that personal thing that nobody else knows about, that you keep justifying in your mind. They're called sins. That one thing that will end up hurting you and end up hurting other people and will ultimately maybe destroy. Oh, the one thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, that's my problem. I, I've got this one thing that's really you know, messing me up. No, I, I am my own worst enemy. I'm sinful through and through. I ain't got one thing. Man, it was, uh, sin management. Uh, it's the one thing. 
destroy different relationships? Are you going to avoid knowing that there's an area of your life? Here it is. There's this moment of truth. And right now we're all thinking of different areas of our life that need to change. And some of us are thinking, I can't wait to bring my friend next week because he really needs to change. And we're all thinking of these things, but there's these areas of our life that desperately need to change. Years ago, I, uh, um, I, uh, years ago, it was many, many years ago, there was a guy that, uh, 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 was, uh, working at another church. It was probably 12, 13 years ago. And, uh, he came to me and he was talking to me about his marriage problems. And I'll never forget his name is Tom. And, uh, uh, I remember him telling me, you know, I'm going through these issues. Then him and his wife came in and he wasn't doing anything huge in the sense of, you know, having an affair or whatever he would, but it was what? Yeah, another story that's not about God and this guy who was basically a good person. He, he wasn't doing anything huge. What is your view of sin, Pastor Songson? How come it's not in line with Scripture's view of sin? You see, that's the thing. There's nobody, including this guy named Tom, who wasn't doing anything huge. You see, the problem is, is that we all are actually doing something really huge against God. It's called sin and rebellion. And you're, you're just glossing over it and somehow making it something that we can kind of sort of maybe manage if we just face the light and have a moment of truth moment that's that by the way the moment of truth moment was written by the department of redundancy department we've got one of those here at pirate christian radio (sighs) man um boy this is a glib you know see the problem with tom and the problem with you pastor songson is is that we're all guilty of really huge ugly grievous sins And it doesn't matter that you haven't touched that woman that you've been lusting after. The lusting after her that you've been doing actually is um, adultery. You know, a sin. You've heard of it. Yeah, what's the middle letter in sin? It's I. I think that's appropriate. But it was still big. It was the way he would treat his wife, the way he would treat his kids, the way he would overwork the way that he had this, such an urge for success that he would put his wife and his kids on the shelf. And I kept saying his kids were young teenagers. And, he, and yet he said that this guy didn't have any huge problems. <sighs> Man. I said, kept telling Tom, you got to change. Tom, this is, you know, you got to change right now. Well, you know, I know I'm trying to work it out. I know t- is this the gospel of intervention? Dude, you got to change now. We're going to have an intervention so that you can change. Where's the gospel? Where's Jesus Christ? Where's the forgiveness of sins? Where's God's wrath? Where's, where's, the, where's the looming judgment? Where's the penalty of hell? Where's anything that's biblical here? Tom, if you don't want to change, it's the moment of truth. It's a life-altering moment, Tom. You change right now, or it's going to be a major issue in your life. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. His wife was in there, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what? It's going to be a major issue in his life. If he dies in his sins, he's going to hell. Repent. You wicked, nasty sinner, you. Blah, blah. This, oh, this happened over a period of a couple of years. Well, a while back, this is now 12 years have passed. I ran into Tom. I said, hey, Tom, how are things going? He said, well, um, we got a divorce a few years ago. Oh, here comes the I told you so moment. I go, really? I said, I'm so sorry to hear that, Tom. And I said, how are things with your kids? He said, well, we don't talk very much. And as I began to dig in. Y- yet he described this guy as not really doing anything majorly wrong. and peel back the onion a little bit started going back to the symptoms you know this is what happens when a motivational speech speaker tries to play a pastor shows that he's out of his depth and out of his league tom 
It was 12 years ago. And I said, Tom, it was 12 years ago. I couldn't even finish the sentence. He said, I know exactly what you're going to say. It was 12 years ago when it was this small, but I let it get this big, and now it created a whole bunch of problems. You know, it's kind of like this. Could you imagine going to the doctor this week, and he says, look, we found a a few uh, cancer cells in your body. And you look at him and say, well, if it's just a few, let's not worry about it. That would be ridiculous. You would say, man, let's get it out. Let's deal with it. Because you know, if it's a few now, it'll be a lot more next week and a lot more after that. And you're going to deal with it right now. See, if you decide right now, you are going to deal with it right now. Whatever, whatever it is, your hang up is. Do you, do you have some bad behaviors? Maybe some bad attitudes or maybe you're the victim of an addiction. We're going to deal with it right now. You are going to do the work. Yeah, yeah, get that little sin taken care of before it gets big. Get it now. Nip it in the bud while it's still manageable. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I don't find sin to be all that manageable, especially when uh, I'm trying to do it myself, so to speak. Yeah, that's because I don't have any little sins. (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem with me. I'm a big sinner. Now, if you say, man, I'm just going to avoid the light. I, I know there's areas of my life that need to change, but I just want to avoid that. Understand this. It's on your outline. I want you to understand this. Avoiding the light is when you go back to, now say it with me, to the what? To the thoughts you've always had. Next one, to the words you've always said. And the- Again, uh, we're, we're, we're reading along to his notes, not anything that has to do with God's word. These are psychological principles regarding behavior modification. When did these become Christianized? Oh, that's right. He got this from Rick Warren. And then the last one, to the lifestyle you've always lived. Now, here's the deal. You can, after today's service and after this whole series all month, you can walk out and just say, well, I'm, you know, I just, I'm just going to stay the same. I know I don't treat my wife right. I know I don't treat my husband right. I know that I don't treat my kids right. I know my priorities are out of whack. I know I've got this certain issue in my life that's got to change. Okay, I know, I know that I'm a sinner, Pastor. I get it. What's the solution here? You can walk out and say, I'm going to avoid the light. But understand, you're just going to go back to the words you've always said, to the lifestyle that you've always lived, to the actions that you've always done. And here's going to be the result. It is not a matter of if it will damage you. It's just a matter of when. Okay, okay, how do I solve this problem, Pastor? You, you've, you've painted this terrible picture of me as an innocent victim of addiction and bad behaviors and attitudes. And what can I do to face the light? See, for Tom, 12 years ago, it wasn't a matter of... I knew it. I sat in my office with Tom. I would sit there probably 15 different times, and I'd say, Tom, if you don't change, it's going to catch up to you. It's not a matter of if, Tom. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, but I just, I got to earn money and I got to make money for my kids' college. I know that, but you're, re- you're neglecting them and you're neglecting your family. And at some point they're going to hold bitterness. Yeah, but, and I said, Tom, if you don't change this now, it's not a matter of if it's going to damage you. It's just a matter of when. I swear this is nagging. This is just law nagging. Come on, try harder. Do better. You can do this. You got to, you, you got to fix this. You, 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 you got to fix this. Do, 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 do. And it did. And gasp. And all of us have issues in our life that probably need to change. Some of us, it could be behavioral problems. Some of us, as a mom or a dad, our faith is very weak. 
And we, we might wonder 10 years from now why our kids don't follow God. Well, it's because you've decided today not to follow Him with passion. Whatever, whatever the issue is, understand, if you don't have your heart on track with the right thing when it comes to God, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your ethics, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to any of that, understand, it's going to create damage. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Great, Pastor. Okay, we're sinners. We got it. Let's, uh, actually, I'm helping you out there by help, you know, taking you to the next level. Okay, we're all sinful. We are all sinners. We all commit grievous sins. What's the solution, Pastor? Everybody get it? Good. Let's go to the, to the second one. Reaction number two is you can accept the light. Okay, say the two with me. What's the first one? You can do what? You can first what? Everybody out loud. You can first do what? Okay, or secondly, you can what? Accept the light. You can avoid it or you can accept the light. Okay, you avoid or you accept. Now, if you accept the light, it's when you know there's an area that needs to change. It's a life-altering moment. It's a life-altering moment when you know, man, i got to change. And you make a decision. You're at a fork in the road and you're saying, okay, I can just go back into the theater and just kind of, you know. Me making a decision. That's the solution. Yeah, this, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. This is definitely Alcoholics Anonymous. We need a 12-step Bible here so that you can celebrate recovery. Be done and not look at the light, or I've got to deal with this area of my life. I've got to deal with, just like the rich young ruler, okay? Say, look, you're going to fall. Uh, you misunderstand and misinterpret the story of the rich young ruler, Pastor Songson. Follow me, or are you going to follow money? Because this thing, okay, I'm not against you making money and all that, and I want you to be successful, but understand, if you just follow this thing over here, it's going to create some problems in your life. Jesus would sit down. He'd come right next to you right now. If he was here in the flesh today, his spirit's doing it right now. And he's sitting right next to you, and he's tapping on your heart, and he's massaging it, and he's saying, that area of your life, I really want you to change that. I don't want you to avoid it anymore. I want you to accept the light. What, 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 what? No, 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 no. Uh, the Jesus he's describing is not the Jesus of the scriptures tapping on your heart and saying that little area of your life. I know you got everything else under control, but that little area, I need you to change that. No, the message that Jesus has to offer us is, you know, all of those sins that you've committed, the ones that have earned you hell. I suffered God's wrath and your punishment for you in your place. I'm offering you a 100% pardon. Salvation is a free gift. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Repent and believe this good news. Accept the fact that there needs to be a change in your life. I'll never forget when my uh, son had his first cavity. And I don't remember how old he was, but I remember him having his first cavity. And uh, and. It- Watered-down law, pop psychology categories, and no cross. I, I'll tell you the rest of the story. He talks about his kids. I'll tell you the rest of the story. He's, he, he talks about his kid's trip to the dentist and afraid that it's going to hurt, but he had to face the pain. He's then going to have a guy, a young man in his uh, 30s, come up and, and share his testimony about how pornography destroyed him and his family. And, uh, you know, when we get towards the end of the sermon, let's, let's see if I can find this real quick. You, you, you'll get the, the, the final punchline after this guy tells his testimony about how he didn't face the light and how all this addictive behavior that, he, you know, he was wrapped up in, you know, finally cul- ter- culminated in him losing his family. 
And let's see what Pastor Chris Songson gives us as a solution to our sin problem. But he doesn't call it sin. Thing. Would you give Brian a big hand? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, a guy named Brian comes up and, you know, I'm Brian and I'm addicted to pornography. This is uh, this is self-help and uh, 12-step recovery behavior modification. You know, that takes a lot of courage. That's a huge thing. And, uh, and I just love the fact that uh, he's a year and a half, maybe down the road. He's got a ways to go, but he's going to make it. He's going to make it. Nothing about Christ helping him make it. But the issue came down to one thing. When the light was exposed, are you going to deal with it? Or are you just going to, are you going to go back into the theater? Or are you going to come out and just say, that's it. I'm dealing with this thing once and for all in my life. And Brian has decided to deal with it once and for all in his life. On your outline, let me just wrap this up. What happens when you accept the light? Three things happen. Number one, you get a freedom from guilt. Number two... Uh, You get freedom from guilt. So if I accept the light and change my behavior, then I get freedom from guilt. Based on what? The fact that I've stopped this behavior? Just because you... Okay, let's let's put this this way, okay? All right, let's say you have an addictive personality and you've decided that you're going to engage in an addictive behavior and then you realize, oh, no, I'm going to face the light. And now you've gone through a 12-step recovery program and you no longer engage in that particular addictive behavior. But day by day, you, you've, you've stopped doing it. Does that free you from guilt just because you've stopped doing it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't free you from guilt all you've done is stop the behavior. The guilt of your sin still remains with you. The only thing that can remove somebody's guilt of sin is Christ's redemption and forgiveness. Even then, you still know the guilt. You still know that you are guilty before God for the sins that you've committed. Even the ones you have, quote, managed to get under control. You protect what is important. And number three, you get a brand new start. And I don't know what your issue is. It may, not, it may be as serious as pornography, or it may be just an anger problem, or it may be just an anger problem. Just an anger problem. You've got to be kidding me. That you're, you, you, you're so wrapped up in success and you're so wrapped up in, in finances that you'll do anything to get it. Or, or it may just be a behavior issue. or an anger. Just a behavior issue. This is a complete misdiagnosis of the problem that the scriptures address. And this man isn't even using the scriptures properly as a pastor to address the problem that exists and the solution that scripture gives, which is Christ crucified for our sins. Yeah, and he rates sin. You know, this one's not so bad. That one's pretty terrible. This one's kind of ugly, but that one's manageable attitude or something, but everybody's got something that needs to change. There's no doubt about it. And I want to just say this. Let's take this month to to face the light, face the heat, face it straight on and deal with those issues once and for all before they compound in our life and they end up getting worse and worse like it did for Brian, like it did for my friend Tom. All I want to do is encourage you this month, be here all month long, get into that small group, attend every single week, invite someone to be a part of this. Oh, I can't wait to see what those small groups would be like. That'd be like little tiny little group therapy sessions. So let's, let's do it. 
I can, I can. This will be just like your comment. I think that John had a great idea. He said that, that that he says put together a sin top ten list. You know, rank your sins in you know in in order of worst to best. You know, and so you can do that in these in their small group sessions. You know, you know, let's talk about your sins and let. Well, actually, they wouldn't use that word. Let's talk about the thing, the behaviors that you need to modify, the things that are in your life that you need to have the moment of truth facing, and let's rank those things. Well, I have anger problem. Well, that's not so bad, dear. That's not so bad. You know, well, I'm addicted to pornography. Ooh, that's pretty bad. You've got to be kidding me. Well, I've got a problem. Uh, You know, I've made money my idol. Well, look at the story of the rich young ruler. That wasn't so bad. That was just one of the areas in his life that that Jesus wanted him to to address. And let's take whatever issue is in your life, big or small, and let's face it head on so that at the end of this month, will we be better off than when we started this month? You have got to be kidding me, Pastor Songson. So I'm going to go and I'm going to face my problems head on by myself, solo, no forgiveness of sins, nothing whatsoever. And a month from now, I'm going to be better off. And then when I die in my sins because I'm not trusting in Christ... Will I be better off when I'm burning in hell? Everybody get it? And one more thing. You might be sitting here and you might be thinking, Hey, Chris, I feel like a rich young ruler. Because what did the rich young ruler ask? He said, How do I get eternal life? Okay, here come. Here comes the little evangelistic pitch at the end. Let's see how you get eternal life. How do I get eternal life? If you're here today, and you before you leave this auditorium, if you're here at the campuses, before you leave that campus, you might be thinking, man, I'm not where I should be. That rich young ruler, the guy we read about in the Bible earlier, that was his question, how do I go to heaven? If you're in a place where you think, man, I don't think I'd go to heaven if my life was to end. It's real simple. Jesus said, confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. What does that mean, Pastor? What does any of that mean? You've given us no context for understanding the words that you just spoke. None whatsoever. You didn't preach about Christ. You didn't preach about what he did, what he accomplished on the cross, or anything like that. Somebody attending there for the first time just heard Jesus, you know, basically another lawgiver, tap a guy on the shoulder and say, you need to give this part of your life to me. Yeah. Jesus, the the lifeline giver. If if I if I was an unbeliever and I just attended you know your church, I have no idea what you what you just said means. Have no concept of it, no clue. In fact, I wonder if the people who attend there week after week after week after week even really know what those words mean. Accept them into your life. Do not leave. Oh, accept Jesus into your life. That's how you do it. I accepted Jesus into my life. I'm going to heaven. Ta da. This auditorium, do not leave the campus, uh, uh, wherever you're at, at Eastville South Campus, without making things right with him. There it is. He's misunderstanding. Don't leave this campus without making things right with Jesus. It's up to you to make things right with Jesus, and that's the problem with this sermon. That's the bottom line misuse of the law. It's It's not your responsibility to make things right with Jesus. Jesus made things right for you. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. That's what Scripture says. Jesus Christ made things right for us. This man isn't preaching Christ. This isn't Christian teaching. This is pop psychology, uh, self-help, celebrate recovery, 12-step behavior modification. But this is not the Christian gospel, nor is this Christian preaching. It's anything but. I'd say... Pastor Songson is not only is he a wolf, he's a sneaky one. He's a likable little wolf, isn't he?
So, anyway, we're done with our sermon review. I'd like to thank you for listening to Fighting for the Faith today. If you would like to email me and let me know how you're going to face the, you know, have that moment of truth, and you're going to make things right with Jesus by yourself, or you've accepted Jesus into your life, whatever that means, can you give me a Bible verse for that one? Mm. Email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Till next time, may the Lord bless you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.